Good evening. <laughs> well, good evening, everyone. It's time to get started, so let's get our hymn books and stand. We'll sing hymn number 167 to start our service. Oh, I want to see him. 167. As I journey through the land, singing as I go, pointing souls to Calvary, to the crimson flow, many arrows pierce my soul from without within, but my Lord leads me on, through him I must win. Upon his face, there to sing forever of his saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all pass home at last, ever to rejoice. When in service for my Lord, dark may be the night, but I'll cling more close to him, he will give me light. Satan snares may vex my soul, turn my thoughts aside. But my Lord goes ahead, leaves whatever be tied. Oh, I want to see him. <clears throat> there to sing forever of his saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Here's all past home at last, ever to rejoice. Third verse. When in valleys low I look toward the mountain high And behold my Savior there leading in the fight With a tender hand outstretched toward the valley low Guiding me I can see as I onward go Oh, I want to see Him look upon His face There to sing forever of His saving grace On the streets of glory me lift my voice, cares all pass home at last, ever to rejoice. When before me billows rise from the mighty deep, then my Lord directs my bark, he does safely keep, and he leads me gently on through this world below. He's a real friend to me, oh, I love him so. Seem. What a great song. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Brother Irwin, would you order a prayer, please? Father, we thank you, Lord, for the end of this your house, Father, for your word tonight. We just ask God to be with each and every one that's here. We thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. You're the pastor of your mercy, Father, wife. Yes, amen. Lord, we thank you for you giving me. Father, I just ask you to watch over us now, guide and direct us. Everything is said and done, be for your honor and your glory. We ask these things in our person. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. Brother? Well, good evening. It's a blessing to have each one of you back here tonight and uh, looking forward to uh, the service this evening. Trust will be a blessing and encouragement to each one. And uh, like we had a great service this morning. Uh, 
I'll tell you, I can, I can be a little pessimistic sometime. And uh, I was telling my wife, we were coming home from my folks on Christmas uh, evening. I told her, I said, I don't think we're going to have a good crowd tomorrow at church. There's not going to be that many people there. And, uh, you know, the farriers proved me wrong this morning. So they brought the whole extended family. And we had a pretty normal crowd other than that here this morning. And so that was a blessing. And uh, I know there's a few folks that were out of town. But then other people that were in town kind of replaced them. And so that was good. And so shows what I know, right? And uh, lacking faith. And uh, we were joking with my mom last night, uh, kind of on that subject of faith. Uh, she had... Um, we have, there's 19 grandkids, um, and so between myself and my older brother, my older sister, my younger sister, and uh, my oldest sister has seven, my brother has five, we have four, and then my younger sister has three. So there's 19 total grandkids. So it's a, quite a fiasco when we all get together. You know, there's kids running around everywhere. And uh, Nate's one of the older ones, just to give you a point of reference. He's number eight in the pecking order. So there's 10 that are younger, or 11 that are younger than him. Uh, so they're all over the place, you know? And uh, we were, they were passing out the Christmas presents and there's one left over. It's just a random Christmas present. And uh, my mom was like, did everyone get a present? She's double checking and she had bought, just to have many grandkids, she just actually bought one too many. And so we all started joking around with her that by faith she bought one more expecting that one of the kids would announce number 20 was on the way. And uh, so that, that's not happening. Yeah. So ev everyone quickly assured her that's not, and of course that wasn't her intention. But anyways, just kind of on the matter of faith, you know, uh, you don't believe it's going to rain unless you bring an umbrella, right? You know, you don't think number 20 is coming unless you buy the 20th gift, right? So by faith, yeah. Nothing's impossible with God. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I'll say this, I don't mind there being 20 grandkids in the family, it's just uh, we need to not be a part of <laughs> having the 20th one, amen. Uh, but uh, in that regard, to say, uh, boy, it was a blessing this morning to see everyone here and uh, the Lord uh, by faith, right? He provided people and that, that was great. And uh, I do want to make uh, just kind of this announcement, it's a first come, first serve type deal. We're beyond Christmas and Miss Brenda said, whoever wants a poinsettia, take it. So after the service tonight, uh, you come up and grab one of the poinsettias, and if you want to know about uh, taking care of them, you can ask Miss Brenda. I think she's figured out the trick of the trade this year of how to keep them alive. And so uh, you could ask her if you want to about how to do that and care for them. And uh, appreciate her uh, decorating. Uh, it's sure a blessing. Of course, all of our ladies. Boy, there was like a whole crew up here. It's like... 50 people up here decorating that night, and uh, but boy, I, I appreciate kind of uh, Miss Brenda kind of spearheading that and, and getting it all decorated. Always looks very very nice, and uh, sure appreciate that. So after the service tonight, grab a poinsettia if you would like one. Uh, you're very welcome to take uh, one of those. Uh, this Friday at 7 p.m. we are having the New Year's Eve get together activity. Uh, it's going to be in the fellowship hall. We're meeting. At 7, bring finger food, and that'll be to share, just doing a big, just kind of casual uh, time of getting together, playing games, enjoying each other's company and fellowship. And then those that are still here at midnight will come into the auditorium here, and we'll pray in the new year. And uh, boy, 2022 needs a lot of prayer, amen? We're going to ask that it's better than... 2021, 2020, uh, that God would allow it to be a, a fantastic year and uh, that there would be a, a moving away from all the COVID stuff and getting back to normalcy and uh, that the Lord would really bless in that way. 
And then uh, next Sunday, uh, of course, there's a couple things that are happening in both the services. And the AM service will be given the State of the Church Address, and uh, really looking forward to that. And then, of course, in the Sunday evening service, we'll be starting our new series in the book of Galatians, uh, Called Unto Liberty. And so you might familiarize yourself with that book, maybe read it this week, and just become familiar with the book of Galatians, uh, as we'll be starting that. And uh, I believe, I'm trying to remember, I believe I marked it out. I think there's 30 sermons uh, planned on preaching through the book. There's a lot there in the book of Galatians. And uh, I'm looking forward to starting that series. I believe it will be a blessing. Uh, I've been very out of my comfort zone, uh, just kind of preaching willy-nilly psalms and then New Testament and then here and there and everywhere. I really like going verse by verse and working through a book. Uh, so I was wanting to wait till the first of the year and kind of get some of the getting to know you is behind us and then we could really dive into it. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, it, it'll be more my preaching style and what I'm used to and uh, more the way I was trained in college and uh, expositional style preaching uh, and I'll look forward to that. But also um, believe it'll be a blessing for us as a church. Uh, there's nothing better to edify and grow a church than just going verse by verse, line by line and I know that'll be a help and a, and a blessing. Looking forward to that. Uh, other than that, I think that's uh, pretty well the announcements of things that are upcoming at least over the next week or so. And there's a lot of stuff that's going on in, in January and beyond. And next Sunday, we'll have the new bulletins available for you. And Lord willing, have the calendars for next year's events and activities. Uh, so you can start plugging those in your calendar and having all that ready to go. All right, well, let's have a word of prayer. And then we'll move on uh, with the service here this evening. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, you've been sure good to us today, and uh, Lord, we thank you for the service we had this morning. And uh, Lord, thank you for Christmas. It was a blessing. And uh, Lord, it was an encouragement uh, this morning and this evening to hear about uh, those who were able to have family and extended family. And uh, Lord, I rejoice even this morning with the, the farriers that they were able to have the five generations here. It's unusual that that's able to happen. And uh, Lord, I know Miss Dolores was just delighted that that took place this morning at services. And Lord, we give you thanks uh, for that. And uh, Father, we just ask that you allow our service tonight to be one that's encouraging and sweet and helpful for us. And Father, we ask that uh, those who are still away from us and traveling, Lord, that you give traveling mercies to them. And Father, we'll be careful to give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise. It's in your name we do pray. Amen and amen. amen. All right, well, let's stand again. We'll sing a hymn number 25, Glorious Freedom. Number 25, and on the last verse we'll need the ushers to come, we'll receive the evening offering. i 
And soon we'll be able to say, free from COVID. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't you just tired of it? <laughs> Boy, I am too. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll, we'll receive our evening offering. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the blessings of today. Father, we thank you for the, the blessings of the Christmas season that we've now come through. And thank you so much, Father, for... Uh, the wonderful gift of your son, Father, that, that you gave us that we might have eternal life. Uh, Father, you're just so good to us. And uh, we thank you for the, the good year that we've had. And we do pray, Father, for uh, another good year next year that, uh, Father, we will one day get this COVID stuff behind us or at least have a handle on it enough that we can uh, enjoy being, being free like we should be. We just pray, Father, that you'd bless our services tonight. We pray that you'd bless this offering. And we ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. got a special special for you tonight. Uh, Miss Brooklyn Pugh is going to sing for us tonight.
the mouth of babes. Amen. So that's a blessing. And uh, can y'all tell I'm in trouble when she gets a little older? Okay. Yep. No, it's a blessing. All right. Well, let's jump into things here tonight. We're going to be in Psalm 139. Psalm 139. The book of Psalms, and we'll go to Psalm 139. And uh, Again, we're going to read the whole passage here tonight, and uh, so if you are uh, unable to, uh, to stand through this a little bit of a lengthier read, 24 verses, we completely understand that. Uh, but for those who are able to and ready to, let's stand together, and we'll read Psalm 139, and we're going to read all 24 of those verses. <clears throat> Psalm 139. Nine. We'll start reading there in verse number one. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins. 
Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee. When I was made in secret, curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, whereas yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men, for they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee, and am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemy. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. I'd like to appreciate just a simple subject here tonight. Search me, O God. Search me, O God. May God bless the reading of His Word. You can be seated. And thank you as always for standing uh, in honor of the Scriptures. <clears throat> uh, as a teenager, uh, I was always uh, fascinated with science. I feel like probably my strongest subject in school was math. Uh, but I always enjoyed uh, science because we got to do interesting experiments and do things like that in school. It was always a lot of fun. I remember my first uh, semester, first day in class of chemistry. Uh, there was a teacher, her name was Miss Bile, and she was fresh out of college. She was like 23 at the time. And uh, she poured some substance all over her desk and lit it on fire. It just went and then went out and she goes, welcome to chemistry. And I go, I'm going to like this teacher. I'm going to like this class. We're going to get along just fine. And it, it was. It was a lot of fun. And uh, I, I always enjoyed that. Um, I enjoyed, you know, uh, biology, getting to dissect, you know, the fetal pigs and the frogs and watching all the girls get squeamish doing those things. That was a lot of fun. And uh, you know, science was just an interesting subject to me. It was just a lot of fun to be able to watch and, and do all of those different experiments. Growing bacteria, uh, which is amazing. People grew grosser bacteria off of the water fountains than they did off the toilet seats. Yeah, just let that one sink in for a little bit. Yeah, yeah you know those petri dishes you grow the bacteria in. But of all the things that we did, I think one of the things I, I always enjoyed the most was when we had the opportunity to use the microscopes. And we had the opportunity to put some things on the slides or maybe had some pre-made slides and uh, place those under the microscope and have the light shine through them and then adjust the focus and be able to see things that otherwise you wouldn't be able to see with the naked eye. Which is exactly what a microscope does. Uh, we place things under its lens and it magnifies that which is underneath the lens to a degree that we can see it. That which otherwise would remain unseen becomes visible. 
my wife is not one who enjoys uh, getting up on top of rooftops. I figured that out one night when I told her, let's go watch. They're supposed to be shooting stars tonight, one of those meteor showers. And I drug her up on top of our roof in Kaufman, and I'm just laying there like, this is so nice. You can see the sky is just crystal clear. You can see shooting stars and stuff. And she's over there sweating bullets, shaking like, get me off of this roof right now, you know. And I, I figured out that it, what was relaxing to me wasn't so much for her. It wasn't the meteor shower she didn't like. It was being on top of the roof. She wasn't okay with that. Uh, but in the same idea of taking a microscope and being able to look down at something very small, we can also use a telescope and bring things into focus that otherwise would be maybe too far off to be able to see with the, the naked eye, just looking out into the night sky. Uh, I, I love being able to look at some of the photographs of the Hubble telescope that they've placed just outside of Earth's atmosphere, you know, orbiting the Earth, and they can snap those photos without the interference. They're beautiful. Uh, if you've never seen some of those NASA photographs that have been taken, it's amazing when they zoom in and they're able to bring into perspective those things that are there. So we understand, you know, uh, those who are astrologists and look up at the stars, they use those to study. Doctors, they use a microscope to be able to identify a, a disease or a problem. Uh, they use it to examine things that otherwise would remain undetected. Okay, Th that's what we use it for. Things that would not be otherwise seen become very, very clear when they are brought into focus when they are magnified to such a degree that we can actually see what it is. We understand that a microscope and a telescope don't make anything larger. They don't create anything. They don't make anything. They don't actually make it bigger. They just take something and they bring it into perspective. They bring it into focus so that we can actually see what otherwise would remain unseen. Instead, they bring into focus and reveal clearly what has always been there, but before was unknown. The more technology advances, the more we're able to realize, hey, that's been there this whole time. We just didn't know it. Amen. Now we can see it. It's been brought into focus. You know, as Christians, we oftentimes in our, our Christian life, sometimes we can be going through and we think everything's perfectly fine. Everything's good. Everything's hunky-dory between us and God. There's no problems. When in reality, there might be tons of issues and problems that are hidden from our naked eye, if you use the illustration. Things that maybe at first glance, we in our fallen human condition, we think, hey, I'm good. Everything's fine. There's no problems. But when God looks with his perfect vision and puts, puts us under his microscope, if you will, he brings some things to the surface and brings some things to perspective that otherwise might have remained hidden. God doesn't create those problems. They were there to begin with. But God has the ability to see and bring them into perspective. We're going to see here in, in this Psalm, Psalm 139, that David uh, understands this amazing capability that God has to search out, to not only search out, but to understand and reveal what he finds. And he is then going to do something amazing. He's going to ask God to do that. Now, in verse number one, I, I love how he begins this. He says this, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. What's interesting to me about that is at the end of this, in verse number 23, he's going to say, Search me, O God, and know my heart. 
Now, David begins the whole psalm by saying this, God, I'm not giving you uh, access. You already have that. It's not like David saying, you can't see God, but I'm going to give you access to me. He is recognizing at the onset of this whole psalm, he's saying this, God, you already have searched me and you already know me. You understand what's going on in my life. You already know what is in and what's going on. To search literally means to dig out, to get to the bottom of something, to find out every single detail. Uh, me and my son, uh, Nate, we, we enjoy uh, looking through coins. We'll get boxes of coins from the bank sometime. And we'll just pilfer through the coins and look for coins that are of, of value or that are uh, abnormalities or unique to find. Uh, they love doing the pennies, him and Andrew. They'll look through the pennies and pull out the wheat pennies, you know. And Nate's even found some Indian heads doing that. And they just enjoy doing it. And they know what to look for because they've been trained to look for it. And what they're doing is they're searching. They're searching through that, digging out to pull out those nuggets that are found in there and that are good to get out. The varieties and the rare coins that are there to be found. And that's exactly what the word search here means. It means to dig out. It means to get to the bottom of, to find out every detail, to cull out and bring out that which is valuable or that which ought not be there. And David says here, God, you've searched me. You have looked through every facet, every emotion, every thought, every action, every attitude of my life. You know it all. You've searched me. But then he also says this, and you know me. And you know me. To know literally means to understand and compre uh, comprehend. But it goes beyond just knowing something. That's really kind of the understanding of the word search. It means that God already knows everything there. But then when he says this, that you, you've known me, the idea there is that he empathizes. I love this. Here's the idea. God not only knows everything that's going on in our life, but he also is able to empathize and relate and be compassionate towards what's going on in our life. Amen. Hebrews 4.15 says it this way. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. God not only discovered everything you have ever done or thought, He not only discovers those things, He understands the frailty of man, He understands our propensity to sin, and He understands our weaknesses and our faults and our failures. This is an amazing God that we have, that not only knows everything, but then can intimately understand the frailty and, and, and the weakness that man has and that we're just dust. That's the type of God that we have. And David says, God, you've searched me and you know me. He then begins to be able to explain what this knowing of God, this searching and knowing of God fully encompasses. He uh, kind of touches on all of the omnis of God. Okay? What I mean by that is the fact that God is omnipresent, all places present. He's omnipotent. He has all power. And he's omniscient, meaning he knows all things. Okay? So he touches on each of these real three big things of God's attributes and his characters, these three omnis in these verses. He does one right after the other in, in a section. So he starts in verses 2 through 6, and he talks about the fact that God is omniscient. Which simply means that God is all-knowing. There's nothing that God does not know. 
So he mentions in verse number two that he knows his down sitting and his uprising, which means he knows when you go to bed and he knows when you wake up in the morning. Now, he knows your waking hours and he knows your sleeping hours. He not only knows that, he says he knows that your thoughts are far off. Those thoughts that nobody else knows, the ones deep in your heart and your mind, those secret conversations that nobody's privy to but you and you alone, God knows. God understands those thoughts. He sees those thoughts. He then talks about he compasseth my path. path. He besets me behind and before. It's kind of like an ambush. There's nowhere you can go where God's not already there and he doesn't understand what you're going through. He understands and he comprehends every single thing. He then says he's acquainted with all of your ways. Uh, how would you like it if someone knew every single thing that you did and every single thought that you had 24-7, 365? That'd be a little scary, wouldn't it? Uh, I have a confession to make. My dad knows this now. I, I let him in on it. For about a year, he didn't, though. We went to Yellowstone a few years back, about three years ago. Uh, all the families pretty much went up there together. Uh, my brother and his family and some of my sister's family and then my parents. And while we were on the way, we used that cool feature where you could share each other's location. Now, I shared mine for 24 hours. My dad shared his indefinitely with me. He didn't know that. I did. Did you know for over a year, I could pull up any time I wanted to. I wonder what my dad's doing. And I'd pull up his location. And I'd call him and I'd be like, hey, dad, how's Red Lobster? And he'd be like, it's fine. How'd you know we were there? And I'd be like, oh, just a hunch. You know, I just, I just mess with him, you know. And for the longest time, I, I never told him. And I actually was preaching this, this sermon, actually, at Worth Baptist Church. It's a large church down in Fort Worth, Texas, for the Tyler Gillis, the pastor there. And they recorded that service. My dad watched the recording of me preaching at that church as a guest preacher there. And he called me after the service and he goes, David. <laughs> I use this as an illustration in it. And uh, I had to fess up at that point. I had used it in an illustration at a church with like 600 people in it. It, 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 it kind of cats out of the bag. But... It was funny because really I could figure out where he was at and what he was doing any time of the day. He didn't know. <laughs> That's terrible sonship of me, isn't it? But you know, God has a much better capability than an iPhone to know where you're at, what you're doing, and not only that, what you're thinking about it. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Let that sink in for a second. There's nothing you can think that God doesn't already know what you're thinking. God knows your thoughts are far off, those secret, re it's like an ambush. You're like, I'm going to go hide this thought from him. Well, he's already there. I'm going to hide this thought. No, he already knows it. it. It's already known by God. He knows every single thought. Everywhere you go, everywhere you are, every thought that you have, God already knows it. Each word spoken, God knows. And he not only knows the words that are spoken, he knows the intent behind the words. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes we can say things and in our heart we're saying something different and God knows what we're saying in our heart. The ability for God to know all is too much for our finite brains to understand. And that's exactly what David says in verse number six. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high, I cannot attain unto it. That's something that is only belonging to God. I can't even wrap my feeble brain around it. The omniscience of God. 
But that's not enough. He actually goes on to another big thing here. Uh, maybe you might be saying, I don't think I like the idea that God knows everything about me and knows all my thoughts and knows all of these things. I think I just need to get away from God. So then he goes on and he talks about the fact that God's omnipresent, which means anywhere you're going to go, he's already there because he's all places present. Okay, if I'm here, that means I'm not there. But God is here and there and everywhere all at the same time. Okay, he is not bound by space and time. That's a little hard for our brains to comprehend because he's omniscient, right? Yeah, he, he understands things that we don't understand. But he's omnipresent. He is everywhere present. That's his very nature. So we could ask this question, where is God? I think the better question might be this, where isn't God? Because he's everywhere. There's nowhere where he isn't. Verse 7 says, where are you going to go that he's not already there? We can't flee from God. He can find us in heaven. Or he can find us in hell. Now the word there is Sheol, which is kind of the Old Testament place of paradise or that holding cell. Study out Luke chapter 16 verses 19. The rich man and Lazarus, there's a great gulf fixed between them. Paradise and hell. Hell and lake of fire are two different places, just like paradise and heaven are two different places. What he's saying is, is God re resided within that place of paradise. He was there as well as in heaven, as well as all places in the earth. He was in all of those places. He takes the wings of the morning. You might wonder, what was that phrase there in verse number 9? If I take the wings of the morning, dwell in the uttermost part of the sea. What is he talking about? Well, you ever watch the sunrise? You know, it just crests over and it goes from dark and it slowly gets light and you kind of just see the crest of the sun coming up. Well, I don't know what the speed of light is. I guess I could have looked it up and figured it out. But what he's saying is, if you could run faster than the wings of the morning and you could go from point A to point B quicker than light and you could take the wings of the morning like the crest of that sun just barely peaking and shooting light across. If you could get out the wings of the morning and beat that. He says, by the time you got where you were going, God's already there. <laughs> you can't beat him. No matter how fast you can go, God's in all places. He talks about the uttermost parts of the sea. Do you know there's some parts, you know, the Mariana Trench, some of those deep parts of the sea that are just as mysterious and undiscovered as places in space? In, in our oceans. They're, they're that mysterious to us. And he's saying, if you could get to the deepest point of the sea, the depths of the sea, God's already there. It's like you would get down there and be like, finally, I'm away from God. And God, here I am. You know, he's there. He's already there. You can't get away from him. He even talks about darkness. He says, if I could get in a place where there's complete darkness, nobody could see me. Anybody ever been to Carlsbad Cavern before? We had the opportunity to go there. I, I don't know if they still do this. When I went there, I was just a kid. I was probably Nate's age or so, maybe Andrew's age. And they took us down in there, and, and we actually had like a, a guy that was down there, and they would take in a group in one part of the cavern, and they would turn the lights off down there. I don't know if they still do that or not. And they would, they would turn the lights off, make sure everybody was ready, and they would turn the lights off. And, and literally, they said that that was like the darkest a human eye could experience. Like that was one of the dark, there was no light down there. And you could put your hand like right in front of your face and there was nothing. It wasn't like it was dark and you couldn't make it. It was literally like there was no light. There was nothing that could be taken in. It was so completely dark. Now, if you could go in a place like that, where literally you wouldn't know if somebody was standing six inches away from you. I mean, it's just that dark. To God, 
it was as if it were the bright noon sunlight outside, and he sees everything clearly. God's already there. God comprehends even things that are done in the darkness. So he's talked about this. He's talked about the omniscience of God, the fact that God knows everything. He's talking about the omnipresence of God, the fact that God is all places present. And I love how he explains his omnipotence, the fact that God has all power. And the way he does this is by pointing to the very nature of man in his development in the womb. He talks about there that about his reigns in verse number 13. Thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. Uh, the word reins there is just a, a nice word for like the guts, okay, the kidney, bowel area, all that. It usually is what's used in the Old Testament to represent the seed of the emotions. Uh, this would be a great one uh, coming up here in a couple months in Valentine's Day. Because in Western cultures, we understand we use it this way. I love you with all my heart. Okay, because we, we recognize when we say that, we're not really talking about our blood pumping muscle, okay? Yeah, if you've ever seen a human heart, they're not that pretty, okay? Yeah, I'll give you my heart. I love you with all my heart. Don't break my heart, okay? We, we understand that's used as a metaphor. It's talking about our emotions, who we are on the inside, the real us. Now, in the Old Testament, they would oftentimes use that in description of their bowels, Okay? So, coming up on Valentine's Day, you can say, I love you with my kidneys. <laughs> Baby, I love you with my whole spleen. <laughs> yeah, I think it was Mark Lowry used to say, you make my liver quiver, you know. <laughs> it's silly stuff like that from the Old Testament because that was where the seed of the emotions was. So, he says here, you've possessed my, my reins. Basically this, you knew who I was before I was. You know the real me. You, know the, you, you knew me while I was still in my mother's womb. He talked about the ample protection that's provided within the womb of a mother. Uh, the development of a human child inside of a womb is just beyond fathoming, isn't it? It really is. Uh, the advent of technology nowadays, being able to see the development of a child and the bones growing. He actually talks about that here, the sinew, the bones, when there was nothing. And that develops. It's amazing that God took dirt and made it into a living soul, a human body, breathed into his natural breath of life. And then he not only did that, but he made that being in such a way that then it could procreate. Think about that for a second. Isn't that amazing? It's beyond comprehending. And it just shows this, the power of God. You know, this isn't really the main thrust and emphasis of, of this scripture here. But I think it's important to, to take this as a side note that life really does begin at conception. And, and this is one of those perfect scriptures that really deals with that. That God loves all life. It doesn't matter whether a person's white or black or Hispanic or any other ethnicity. Uh, God loves all people Amen. equally. God died for all people. Okay, God created all people. He doesn't make junk. And he hasn't changed his mind on the subject. Okay, regardless of what our culture does, which is crazy stuff here and there and everywhere, God loves people and God created mankind and he believes life is sacred. And that includes life that is in the womb. Okay, it doesn't matter a person's race. It doesn't matter a person's nationality. It doesn't matter anything else or any defects that a person might have. God created them. They're made in the image and likeness of God and they're loved of God. 
Okay, uh, boy, there's a lot of arguments out there that are made nowadays about why abortion is okay, and they usually use these extreme examples about defects that are found inside of the, the baby in the womb, and that that ought to be terminated, ought to be done away with. Uh, listen, I'm thankful. I, I've got to know a lot of people that had they followed conventional wisdom, they would have died in the womb. And I've got to know some of those people, whether they've got Down syndrome or mentally handicapped in some way or physically handicapped in some way. And some of those people are the biggest blessings, aren't they? Amen. They really are. Absolutely. Uh, boy, I, I tell you, I, I could go list after list of story after story. It's a reminder of this. God has intention and God has purpose behind every life. And we need to be mindful to recognize that there's no junk with God, okay? And it's a result of the fall. We understand broken body, sinful nature. That's produced a lot of these defects and these problems that are there. But we also need to recognize that God loves us and, and God protects life and the sanctity of life. And so that, that, that really, if you think about it for a second, the thing that God used to show His omnipotence and His power was not the creation of the cosmos. It wasn't the flinging of this earth and all its beauty out, although those could have very easily been used, God used the formation of a baby in the womb to show how powerful He really is. Now, David uses all of these illustrations about God's knowledge, about God's presence, about God's power, but he goes even a step further and he talks about the personal relationship that he has with God. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time on these. In verses 17 and 18, he talks about the fact of how much God loves him. He says, God, the number of thoughts that God has towards me are more than the sand. Now, that, I don't know how many billions or millions of grains of sand are on the earth, or trillions, or however many you want to put out there. But he says this, God's thoughts towards me as an individual outnumber those specks of sand. That's, that's beyond comprehending. And yet, that's ability our God has. He loves us that much. In verses 19 through 22, he talks about God's purity and His holiness and how He hates sin. And that we ought to have a holy hatred for sin too. Okay, uh, again, the, we could dig into these verses and kind of uh, delve all that out. He knows when we do wrong and are friendly with wickedness and, and their ways. He knows that and he knows when we want to do right. And we don't want to be friends with wickedness. And God desires for us to choose holiness and stay away from wickedness. Now, if he knows us this well, and he does, maybe make it a little bit more personal. If God knows you that well, and God loves you that much, and God has utilized His great knowledge and His great power and His great presence and His great love and His great wrath even to know you that intimately, and He does, shouldn't we ask Him to share His findings? Isn't that an interesting thought? If God knows you better than you know yourself, don't you want to know what He knows? Don't you want to have that knowledge revealed to you? So David then says this in verse number 23. He already says, it's not like he's given God permission, okay? God's already searched him. God already knows him. God has used every resource at His capability, and then beyond that, because God is limitless, to search and not only know all those things about Him, but be empathetic and know and relate and love and be compassionate toward David. But David says this, God, I know you already have searched me. I know you already know me, but I'm doing this. I want you to show me what you found. Search me, 
Oh God. God, use your amazing resources and discover everything about me. Dig down deep and find out all the information. Dig out every detail. I'm an open book, God. I'm not holding anything back. I'm not trying to shroud, hide, or cover up. I'm exposing myself to the light of your glorious majesty to search me, God. And I want you to know my heart. I want you to know the real me. Not the facade that I sometimes can put on the outside. I want you to know my heart. The real me on the inside. And then I want you to do this. Try me. Isn't that a scary thought that David said that? Boy, howdy, he says, search me, O God. Know my heart. See if there be any way. Try me. You know what the word try me means? Give me a test. Put me through a test. Um, I, I enjoy tea every once in a while. And uh, my wife has gotten where, uh, I guess she does the oolong tea type stuff that's there. But somehow we wound up, I don't know if it's from my mother-in-law or what, some flavored teas, herbal teas. You all drink any of those? You're weird if you drink those things. They're funky tasting. They are. I, I don't know why. I've never been able to get into them. Some people like the herbal teas. But somehow we wound up like just these random bags of tea. And I was like, I don't know what these are. You know, you could kind of smell them or examine them. But in many ways, they kind of looked the same. There was a tea bag. Some ground up black looking stuff inside of a bag. And I'm like, I don't know what this is. But you know how you can reveal what kind of tea it is or what's on the inside of the bag? Expose it to hot water. You know what that does? It brings what's on the inside to the outside. Exposes it, doesn't it? You know what I don't like to happen in my life? For God to put me in hot water. I don't like it. I hate it, actually. And if you're honest, you do, too. Nobody walks around and they're like, you know what, God? It's been a while. I just want you to do something real rough to me today. I mean, j just dump some hot water on me. Take me through a trial. Make it a good one, too, God. Just lay it on me. Who's, who would pray a prayer like that, you know? But that's what David prayed. David said, God, I want you to put me in hot water because I want what's on the real inside of me to come on the outside and be exposed. I want what you know about me. I want to know that, too. So, God, you test me. You try me. You put something in my life to reveal I'm really impatient. You put something in my life to reveal I do have a problem with anger or lust or bitterness. You put something in my path to bring what's in here on the outside and expose it. That's what David was asking him to do. God, take me through something to make sure I'm real. Make the real me clearly seen and visible. He then says this, see if there be any wicked way in me. If there's anything that doesn't line up with what you want for my life, your vision, your word, your holiness, if there's something in my life that doesn't click with that, it doesn't jive with that, and you expose that and you bring it out, you expose that wickedness, you see if there's any wicked way in me and expose it, and then do this. It's not enough just to know about that sin. He then says this, lead me in the way everlasting. You know what, David recognized his great dependence on God, not only to know what was wrong in his life, but then to fix that which was wrong in his life. Yeah, God can reveal what's wrong and show us in his word, hey, you need to fix this problem. 
But I'm thankful he not only shows us what's wrong, he also shows us how to fix it. How to get those things right with him. And that's exactly what David is asking him to do, do here. Show me the way I should go in your word and in prayer. You know, in today's uh, world, I'm bringing this to a close here with some application here. We live in a world with too many distractions. Way too many distractions. Uh, I can become very guilty of this in my own life. Uh, this thing right here is a tremendous blessing, isn't it? It really is. It's, people say, well, you pay that much for a phone, you know, you get this phone. But it really is more than just a phone, isn't it? Amen. If I think about it, I feel like I've got my whole life on this thing. You know, I've got my emails, I've got my calendar, I've got, you know, phone. You've got a hundred other things that are on it. And when I think about it, boy, it's not only that, but it's also a great time waster, isn't it? If you're not careful, you can find yourself doing this. And you can find yourself and go, oh, wow, I just spent 30 minutes doing this. Now, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, there's nothing wrong with a TV or a phone or a tablet or a computer. They're just mediums. There's nothing wrong with a book. But they can be wrong. You know, the biggest thing that they, I found in a, in a believer's life is not that they're watching junk or unholiness or ungodly things that are just filthy. I think really the greatest thing that Satan's done with them is distract us. Allow them to become so encompassing of our life that we're so glued to them and focused on them that we're not focused on God and His Word and on God searching us. And oftentimes, you know, people say, you know, I'm just so busy. Man, I'm just so busy. I just don't have time to read my Bible or, you know, spend time with God or, just, you know, even be at church. It's just so busy. You know, it, you can turn on a feature on your phone if you have an iPhone. It's called Screen Time. Anybody ever done that before? And once a week, it'll give you this report of how much time you spend on apps and how much time you spend on the phone. It'll tell you everything there. And you do that, and it'll pull it up, and you go, oh. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's amazing sometimes. You pull it up, and you go, oh, wow, I didn't realize I spent an hour on average every day on Facebook. I didn't realize I spent two hours watching that show. I didn't realize that because we get sucked in, don't we? Yeah, Neil Postman wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death, and it's this human tendency in today's culture where we've been trained to be on these little snippets, commercials. Boom, 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 boom. And see, that way in our smartphones and our whole world seems to encompass that. Now listen, my whole point in bringing that up is not to uh, denigrate and tear down technology and that it's evil. and It's a wonderful thing. It's a good tool. But it's simply to recognize this. Sometimes we can become numb to spiritual realities because we have an alternate reality that we're living in. We get so focused on a phone or on television or a good book that we fail to realize that we're living in an alternate reality instead of living in the spiritual reality that we ought to be living in, spending time with the Lord. TV, the internet, entertainment, books, movies, sports, phones, social media, social events, fishing, hunting, etc., etc. They can all be wonderful things, but they can make us feel like our life is full of busyness and it becomes impossible to spend time with God. It strangles out that time that we ought to spend with the Lord. So here's a, a little bit of a challenge for you. <clears throat> I, I, I love practical advice, something tangible that you can do. So you ready for this? Here's going to be my challenge for you. Sometime between now and New Year's. Okay, so you got this week, because uh, New Year's Eve is on Friday. So you got this week to, to get this one done, if you so choose to take this uh, challenge. 
Get alone with God, and I'm not talking about your daily devotional time. I'm going to challenge you to take some time this week and go somewhere distraction-free, somewhere where uh, nobody can reach you on this thing. Yeah, There's no TV, there's no distraction, it's quiet, it's a place that you can be alone with God. For one hour, read this psalm, and then pray the prayer that David prayed in the last two verses. Search me. God, you already know everything about me. I just want to take some time and I want you to show me what you found. All right, God, show me. You'd be amazed with an hour of quietness just with you and God, reading a passage of Scripture like that, and being open and honest with the Lord, saying, God, search me, know my heart, and even this, try me. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, if we're serious about this thing of walking with God and having a deep relationship with Him, we need those times, don't we? Absolutely. Why? Because there are some things that we don't see with the naked eye sometimes. We need a microscope, don't we? There are some times we need a telescope to bring some. It's not that those things are created. They've always been there. We're just going to bring them into perspective. Stronger than any microscope and stronger than any telescope is God and all of His omnipotence, omniscience, and omnipresence. His love and His great holiness and even His great wrath at work in our life, searching this life, searching your life. And then you say in this, God, show me what you found. You know what I found was interesting? I'll end with this illustration. You know what I found was interesting with these microscopes? <clears throat> you know, a microscope doesn't work unless light passes through it. Isn't that interesting? You take one of those slides and you put it under there. If that little light on the bottom isn't shining through it, when you look through the microscope, you can't see anything. It requires exposure to light to be able to see it. And the same is true in our life. We need exposure to the light of the world, to the light of God's Word, to be able to truly understand what's really going on in this heart of ours. So here's the challenge. One hour, alone with God, other than devotion time, to simply pray that prayer, search me, and show me what you found. It's a daring question to ask, isn't it? But it's needed in the believer's life, because there's some things that we just cannot see that God needs to show us if we want wickedness removed and we want to be led in the way of God. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, it's a very powerful and telling thing. <clears throat> Lord, we need your light. We need your perfect light to shine on our lives so that we can clearly see what needs to be fixed and what direction we need to go in our life. Lord, there might even be people here tonight who are confused about a direction, confused about how to handle a situation in their life. Lord, I pray that you would search them, know them, try them, show them the wickedness that may be present in their life, and then lead them in the way everlasting. Father, may you receive glory from our lives and from this church. We love you. It's in your name we do pray. Let's all.